0: Welcome to Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi, a passionate and relentless pursuit of exploring how individuals use good judgment in everyday life, both in their personal and professional lives. Hello, welcome again to another episode of Wisdom Personified, Conversations with Dudum Somi. I hope you have been enjoying the series so far. We really have enjoyed taking on a journey. Today, I'm so excited to talk to a friend of mine. I do have wise friends, so I'm bragging. Her name is Tammy Chetty. She is the COO, which is the Chief Operating Officer of Harambi Academy, and is also an executive on Harambi Employment Accelerator. She'll tell us more about it. Are you living your best life?
1: I think our best life is the one that we have right now, right, and I feel like you've got to make the most of, every moment, every day, like everything that comes your way. So yeah, am I living my best life? I'm always trying. Are there things that I'm aspiring to do? Absolutely.
0: Getting up to any mischief lately? <laughs> <laughs> no. What's life without a little mischief? <laughs> I do enjoy your mischief, it's quite constructive mischief, it's fun mischief. <laughs> I mean, we've known each other since 2005, but we haven't really spoken much about your upbringing. Can you share a bit about, you know, what was it like? What are your fondest memories growing up? Like many
1: South Africans, it was a difficult um, yeah, situation, I think. Um, grew up in uh, you know, difficult, I think, financial circumstances. Um, My parents had um, on and off jobs, Uh, my mum didn't really work, parents had dropped out of school so they weren't academics or anything like that. Um, And my father was um, akin to doing business, I don't think that he was a really great businessman though, but he was a very intelligent man with loads of ideas. I think that he had an idea a minute but um, didn't have the know-how of how to operationalize them and make money with them and then I think that even if he did make money I don't think he would have known how to keep it because there were times when he did make some money very few times and um and yeah and just never really kept it so they, those periods didn't last long so largely um yeah very basic government education I guess and moved around a lot because my father was always pursuing different types of business opportunities eventually settled on the food industry Okay so we'll talk about that when we get to my restaurant, yeah. I suppose yeah. <laughs>
0: cuz I'm you know with that kind of background what inspired you to be an entrepreneur at at some point in your life that's what you uh, were well,
1: I think that I think I was socialized to it so I think the things that I really admire about my father was like his business acumen around like running an actual business, so from an operations perspective, he was really, really good at like running businesses. So you went into the food industry, chef. Our dinner discussions were about what happened that day in the business every night. Mm. Like, I mean, I was socialized with this mm. from so it was like a, like a little, you know, it was like a classroom. Yeah. My father was very business orientated. He wasn't really family orientated. Yeah. He did insist that we all had dinner together though every night. But great. that was about,
0: it's a great tradition.
1: I think it is a great tradition and so I learned everything about cooking, spices and business and Mm. like what worked, what didn't work, what needed to be corrected the next day, what could have been done better, what um, really went well that they should do more of. So I think that those are like some basic business principles that apply today in business and I guess that that's where some of my entrepreneurial spirit but also some of my like business leadership um, came from.
0: And I mean I know for a while you headed up business banking in a yes a, one so. of uh, the big four <laughs> and um, you know what was that like
1: different uh, very different to like running a small business right I think that um, the corporate world is something else it was a it was a huge business you know about uh, 2,000 people nationally across the country, about 100,000 business clients and a massive portfolio. Wow. I think the complexity and the dynamics of that role is um, is quite challenging. Mm. I mean, you've, you've got to make a profit because there are shareholders that are interested in a profit. There's a lot of politics that's at play at that level in the organization. And you almost feel like the politics and all of that sometimes outweighs the mm. actual... Um, skills that are required for the role yeah. so you need you need to be able to play Political politics acumen yes you need some yeah i need as well
0: i mean how come you survive that environment for that long? I think
1: my, t- my focus tends to always be on the actual business. Like, yeah. what am I here to do? Focus. I don't have time yeah. for this like politics. I mean, you have to play it, I guess, when, you, when you're there. But I used to spend my time out in the field with the team that was supporting me, with the teams that I needed to support. Um, and so I focused on, I thought what really matters, the clients and the staff. Mm. And, and that resulted in the making money, I guess. Yeah. And so I guess I didn't have as much pressure from the top as... Because
0: uh, you were producing?
1: Because I was producing. Well, that's
0: about results. What do you do for fun? I travel. Yeah. Um, I know, <laughs> some of your Facebook postings have always been very interesting.
1: Yeah, I love traveling, so I try and travel Three to four times a year. I go on holiday three to four times a year. That's very different to like when I had my 20-year banking career. I almost never traveled. I never had the time to. I used to work 18-hour days. I used to work on weekends and stuff like that. And so for the last... yeah, eight ten years or so i 've made up for definitely us. well well I think i 've made some significant life changes, yeah. so one of, one of it was leaving banking, which was a, which was a first love i mean and I, and I think it will remain so. Um, I really enjoyed my banking career. I started right at the bottom, I went all the way to the top, but it required eighteen hour work days yeah. and it required working weekends and stuff to get to to i think where I got to. Um, And so there was a huge sacrifice I feel like I made in terms of like a balanced life and I don't believe in the concept of a balanced life anyway, I don't think that it exists. So I made some significant changes, I decided to study more, I decided to spend more time with my family and I decided to do more fun stuff and do things that I love doing which is traveling. And so I made a conscious choice that I would travel three to four times a year on holiday. Yeah not like work-related work trips related. and so I try to go to different places every time I want to yeah. explore the world. Which is your next one? With- so in December I'm going to Sri Lanka and Myanmar and Thailand. Very nice, hmm. enjoy. huh. in the sun. Yeah, <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. What do you think your unique value proposition is? What will we miss if you were not here?
1: I try to live a good life and I and I hope that um, by living a good life and being impactful on others, I, I hope that, that makes a difference. But the feedback that I generally get from a lot of people and at all of the organizations that I've worked at has been that I'm very good at growing others hmm. and helping others to rise to other levels and be their best selves and so I think that um, I can resonate with that, and I feel like that's the legacy that I would like to leave. Wow. That like people will miss that about me. That uh, I I help people grow.
0: Yeah, and what you're doing now, Definitely. And what I'm doing, doing now.
1: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I I feel like that. I mean. It, it was a big call for me, it, I felt it like reverberate inside of me that I wanted to help young people and I wanted to work with young people and so it felt like cutting an umbilical cord when I left banking but I felt like I didn't want to look back and ask myself uh, one day you could have and like why didn't you and you should have and, and so forth and so I thought let me just take the leap, let me go and study, let me find my way into it and and five years later now I've been with yeah. Harambee for about five years, um, I'm loving it. It feels like it's an absolute calling. I feel true purpose in the work that I'm doing. It, I mean I, I can impact thousands
0: of people, not just uh, the few that I get to engage with directly. That's always an interesting concept because sometimes we think in order to do good you need to take away something from your life and it looks like you're flourishing in your personal life while you're doing something amazing as well. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's taken me like 20 years to realize that that was possible. Yeah, Yeah, because we do focus on the financial Mm. benefits and and not the others. So the vision you've had for your life, I mean, when you were young, what life did you think you will lead, and are you leading that life now? Thankfully not. (laughs) So I think
1: that um, if I think about, like, when I was younger, I'm not sure that I had a vision for my life. I think that the situation was rather destitute. I think it was, I I don't think I had a lot of hope. I don't think that I had... um, Ambition, I didn't think that I would amount to much. It's kind of like, you know, you, you look at previous generations and like where people have come from, you look at your circumstances and that determines like, you know, what what outlook you have on life, I think. So there was a significant moment or shift, I think, in my life that happened when I was about 20 or 21. I think I was in that like hopeless situation of, I'll just get by, do whatever, like, you know, mediocre wow. kind of life. That's And, and it's not that that I thought about it, It, it's more that like this was just my circumstances and you kind of accept that these are your circumstances, this is kind of your life. And I had an uncle they came to visit me one day and he said uh, there's this opportunity you need like 2500 rand to pay a deposit to get a plot and plan thing you build a house you get this piece of land and you get a plan with it but you've got to build a a house so you've got to find the money to build the house and you get a bond for this uh, piece of land and I looked at him and I thought do you see my circumstances (laughs) where am I going to get 2500 rand from it sounded like he was asking me to get a million rand yeah it was just so beyond my reach or my, like, I couldn't, cons- like this idea just yeah. didn't yeah, make any sense to me. And the fact that he was asking me to do this, I thought like he, was, he had lost touch with reality. Yeah. I mean, like yeah. here's he looking at me and telling me that I've got to do this. And I, I i sort of said to him, like, I i think, yeah, I don't think that that's possible. I can't even, imagine. I don't know where I'll get that money from. And he said, well, think about it. And eventually just to get rid of him, I said, yeah okay I'll think about it and the minute he walked out of the door I'd forgotten about it because it was just not within my scope of reach I think and so um, about two weeks later he came to visit me again and he said so did you think about it and I said think about what and he said that opportunity that I spoke to you about and I said to him
0: you know just go away guardian angels in this life eh?"
1: You know, he's probably been one of the most impactful people in my life. And like from a really young age, I don't think I would have matriculated had it not been for him because like it was just, I was the first person in my family to matriculate. In any event, um, he came back and he convinced me. He came with 2,500 Rand and he said to me, here's the money, it's a loan, you can pay me back whenever you have it. There's no rush, just go pay this deposit and like, You've got to do this, it's going to change your life and and I, and I resisted it uh, and he insisted and eventually I accepted, I conceded, I took the money, I went to go and pay this deposit and then they told me you've got six months in which to build this house and then I, I had sleepless nights and so I owed my, my uncle money, I had to build a house in six months, I was like I had a little baby who was about six months old at the time and I thought oh my gosh, I'm going to do this, I'm unemployed. So I uh, learned of an opportunity to sell bedding door-to-door but it meant like you know driving out sort of into rural areas and you've got to walk long distances about 10-20 kilometers a day carrying heavy wow. bedding um, that you've got to sell. And so I went I took my baby with me and I went with some people yes, and I so. walked door-to-door and within like four and a half months I built this house and there was a there was a switch like a and I think back on that time frequently and I think about like the the difference is the hope that oh. I, I learned that anything was possible, like from, suddenly, from being in a hopeless yeah. situation where I didn't think that I would amount yeah. to anything, suddenly like it was like I bought a house in four and a half months and I now had this bond that I had to pay, I paid my uncle back, I owned my own property, it was just such a, it was almost
0: like a rewiring yeah. of my brain you need something like that to show you that I can do it. Absolutely. And ever since then, like, I believe
1: anything is possible. I yeah. believe, like, you know, even if I don't know how to do it, I'll figure out how to do yeah. it. I'll learn how to do it. I have the capacity to do so much more than, like... Gosh, than that's I so inspirational.
0: That I I'm actually touched because I've known you and I didn't know that. Because I yeah. met you... Well, we're doing our MBA. Yeah, exactly. Or corporate yeah, exactly. You
1: know. you know, I'd already, like, somewhat arrived, I guess, when yes. you met me. Right? Yeah, yeah. And had. so I think we don't know the... The stories. The stories of people and how they
0: get to where they are. Not everybody's story is, like, paved with gold, right? Um, and, and for me, this is key in terms of our country, even at the continent, uh, of how people can see possibilities and you know, and see guardian angels because he tried and he tried and he didn't give up on you.
1: No, he didn't. You know,
0: and if we could be that for other people, I think our country will be amazing.
1: Absolutely. And I think that that's so central to the work that I'm doing at the moment. Right? Like, I mean, one of the reasons I didn't have to leave banking, I could have stayed, yeah. continued to climb the corporate ladder and all of that stuff. But um, but I felt like so many people along the path or my journey had been instrumental like that. That had caused significant shifts that rewired the way that I think about yeah. things. And I think it's, I think that that's the critical thing. It's a, it's about how I think about things and like um, the fact that I think that like anything's possible. Yeah. Like you know, have this more optimistic sort of mindset. And so I felt that I wanted to give back. And, and so a big driver for me behind leaving banking and going into this kind of work that I do now was about wanting to give back and wanting to make a difference, like a small difference yeah. in just somebody's life. Just and that shift, shift makes,
0: shift. you know, because generationally, I mean, your kids are in a better position. Okay. Their kids are going to be in a better position. Absolutely. And this is part of what I'm trying to do with the series, you know, to just expose this. Because when we see each other all successful, Mm. People don't know what it takes. And for some kids who are in the townships and they like, how am I going to get out of this? You know, yeah. and I'm so happy that you are able to share this time with us. Um, so we met at Gibbs, Gordon Institute of Business Science, doing my yeah. MBA. Very fun time. <laughs> 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 Lots of fun, <laughs> admittedly. Well, how has the MBA enhanced your life, though?
1: Do You know, I hear a lot about like how MBA is, is uh, results in promotions and stuff like mm-hmm. that, I, I don't see that direct link. I think that what the MBA did for me at that point of in time, so I mean we're talking about 2005-2006 when yeah. we had done the MBA, yeah. and up until then I think all of the um, academic training that I'd had was very specific, you know, in a specific direction. Everything else that I learned was kind of on the job. So I think what the MBA did for me was broaden my perspective on different fields,
0: because the the
1: because it covered I mean yeah absolutely it covered all the disciplines we did what thirty two modules or something like that and then some (laughs) yes so and the um, volume
0: of work just the sheer volume
1: absolutely and just to be able to like know a little bit about all of these disciplines I felt like what it did for me was give me the ability to have a conversation about. Almost, I mean, I was no expert on all of these disciplines, but I was able to have a conversation Mm -hmm. with many more functions within an organisation. And I think it's it's that that helped me to move up to the, you know, the next level and the next level Mm -hmm. from there.
0: Because it expands, I kind of call it, you know, you become like a generalist. Absolutely. Because, and for me in the 21st century, that's the skill. Because whether you're talking ICT, you must be able to connect. Absolutely. If you're talking Ops Management, you must be able to connect. Whether you're talking whatever. HR, yeah. finance. Especially yeah. if you're a leader. Absolutely. Absolutely. That. But you also did a Master's after the MBA. Then you thought, okay, another Master's <laughs> uh, about the benefits of coaching Generation Y. What were the learnings that you got out of that? So that was the thesis that I yeah. did.
1: Um, I, the 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 purpose of that study was um, to give me new skills for this new work that I wanted to do. So yeah. I went to go and study this yeah. master's in. Um,
0: NCAD, was it?
1: At Insead, um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> very fortunate to have been able to go there, yeah. um, and it was uh, a master's in um, change and and consulting and so forth. And so. Um, The, the reason why I did that thesis was because I was interested in young people and I was interested in whether coaching would be applicable to young people. So the, the world of coaching has predominantly been for like aimed at executives and uh, I mean, there's a lot of life coaching and stuff like that. But in the business world, I was really interested in how could coaching be applied to young people mm. and I felt like there was this whole segment of people that could benefit from yeah. it but nobody was really focusing yes. on them and the reason that they don't focus on them is because that's not where the money is. Oh. Right? So
0: let's just be frank but, about... Which is a like, contradiction because the work I'm doing, I'm finding junior to middle management actually needs it more than the executive level.
1: Yeah, so yeah I'm talking about like yeah. really young, like people young people coming yes. even before from that. School. So even yeah, Coming out of school, at university, going into their first yeah. job, you know, uh, nobody's really throwing money at those young people. And, and what interested me about that was in my time at APSA, um, when I was there, um, I, I picked up that it was the young people, so, so they had all this academic skill, they'd come out of university, they um, knew how to... That came with BCOMS in general in the business that I ran. So they knew how to do books, they knew how to read a financial statement, but they couldn't progress up the, the next step because they didn't have the soft skills, they didn't have the leadership skills. And so I would often hear when we had vacancies for like the next level from the managers that we're interviewing, they would say, oh, this one's not ready yet. Yeah. And I could never understand. Like I no mean, I started. Means. Yeah, I well, was like, what does that mean? Why is this person <laughs> yeah. really in this? Yeah, but they have the leadership skills and the soft skills, and yeah. they've been. But like, why? Yeah, and and a big part of that is because they're not socialized to that, right? Like, and so if you, if you think about like even my own upbringing, mm. I was socialized to business, yeah. and that's what I knew. Yeah. If I'd been taken and put into a corporate organization, like without any further socialization, it would have been really, I would have needed support in that and I would have needed to figure out how to do this. And so I felt that coaching could be a mechanism to help support young people Mm. to um, figure out that softer stuff the socialization, the engagement with other people, interpersonal skills, all of that kind Mm. of stuff. And so what my research basically told me, and I was specifically interested in that. generation who was coming into the workplace at that point in time and so I um, yeah I decided to choose that group of people to think about like career progression and how do young people then um, get the skills that is required for career progression and so what the research told me was that it is actually effective but that there's no money in this space and so there's no attention given to this no 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 investment no attention given to it even in organizations they just feel like people will learn on the job And so but the do ones that learn, managers the, don't actually have the patience for them. So. No, the managers don't have the patience for them, and and generally young people that come from more sophisticated families yeah. have been socialized to yes. do this and so they end up being first in the so queue to get like the job. it looks like they're more competent. They, they look nothing. like that and yeah. it's not about that yeah. everybody's got the potential yeah. right and I think that we don't focus enough on the potential of young people mm. we focus on like who's already got yeah. the package of skills and record. who's demonstrating it who's got the track record mm. who's got the finesse the yeah. polishing and you know that's the stuff that we end up looking at and I, and I mean it's
0: And in a country like ours, we can't
1: really do that. We can't afford to do that, that's the thing. We can't afford to do that. With a youth unemployment
0: rate at like 50%, it's just ridiculous. ridiculous, That was an interesting case study that you embarked on. You should actually write, did you? But you ended up teaching at Gibbs. I mean, Uh, now you're like leaders as coaches. Yes, yes, yes. So there's benefit. (laughs) Absolutely. Something came out
1: of it. Something came out of it. Well, I think a lot has come out of it. I mean, a lot of my work at Herambia has to do with like working with young people. So that's what
0: you do, yeah. Yeah. So you already knew you were going to make a move, okay. (laughs) Uh, You married fairly young, isn't it? And then you divorced. Yes. what wisdom can you share about how to choose a life partner? Oh, I'm probably the worst person to ask about You're actually partner. the best one because you've been there. <laughs> and, uh, now that you reflect.
1: I didn't think much about choosing a life partner. It was kind of like we met, we got
0: married a month and a bit later. Wow. <laughs> You're still a romantic. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. You are always a romantic, yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So, um, and I think it's about the work that you put into it, right? And, And so it worked. It worked for 16 years. It was a fantastic relationship. He was a really great father during that time, and we had a great relationship. I was the serious one, the one that was focused on, like, where we need to get to in our lives, the one with ambition and goals and stuff like that. And he was the fun one, the one that made sure that we let our hair down every weekend and that we did something with the family, went somewhere Got out of the house, um, very family orientated and stuff like that so I, and I think that a lot of that is about how much of work you put into it. I think every relationship, regardless of whether it 's a marriage or a friendship or whatever, yeah. is about the amount of time and energy that you that you invest in yes. that relationship and so I think that um, that was uh, it worked because of that um, but then there's culture and there's tradition and there's history and there's like where we come from and how we think about things that I think start impacting. Yeah. That and and there's and there's a lot of a lot more work required I think for that. So um, I mean, one of the reasons that I, from my perspective, of course, there's two parties always in a in a relationship, yeah. right? And so from my perspective, I think that the re, the relationship failed because. I don't think that he was able to cope with like, my success. I think that that's really what it boils Your down to. My evolution. And him. my evolution. And I think that he was not an ambitious person. He was just happy to like, you know, get to wherever he gets to and happy to live life, actually, which is admirable. Right? Yes. I mean, even those of us that like, achieve great success want to live life. And yeah. it's the one thing that we often trade off, I think. Oh. And so, um, and so, I think that the the relationship failed, and and I think that the work became just too hard. Um. And so when you so back to your question around like how do you choose a life partner, I think it 's so difficult like you you don 't really know somebody until you know them right, and until you 've experienced all different kinds of facets of life with them yeah. and so while for sixteen years, everything was really great, it felt like we were on the same path together, it felt like we were making real progress, it felt like we were aligned all of a sudden, well not quite all of a sudden, but over a period of time, that changed, so and, changed. and it felt like there was divergent paths and and he was definitely on a different path than the one that I wanted to be on. Yeah. And so at some point we just had to make the decision that like, you know, well one of us had to make the decision actually that like this is not the path that I want to be on any longer or I think that our paths are now diverging. And so it was a really, really tough call to make. I think it was really hard for my kids. I think that divorce is never easy, not on anyone. I mean, you have amicable divorces, but they are few and far between. I think most divorces are really tough and difficult, and I think mine was definitely yeah. one of those. Um, I think I'm. I'm I, I mean, I spent the last. I got divorced in like two thousand and eight, so uh, or seven actually. I separated in like two thousand and five, and. And since then, I've thought, I think harder about like relationships. Who do I want to expose my kids to, etc. And so I've had one relationship that also, you know, lasted about six years and then ended. Um, And and so and so, it's there's so much to consider. And I think that like when I was nineteen and getting married, I didn't think about any of those things. And maybe that's why I said, like, I'm probably the Mm. the the wrong person to be asking about that. I think now my life is completely different. I now have a grandchild, I'm a grandmother, you know. My kids are not dependent on me um, for their daily attention and care. So I think I can make very different decisions about my life and I think the way that I would think about uh, somebody that I want to share my life with now would be, um, you know, are we aligned in terms of what we want to do? Can we respect one another for the fact that we may be on divergent paths at times and then uh, can we come together in a mature yeah. and, um, and meaningful support way. support other's dreams. And support Would each ever. other's dreams, exactly. Yeah. And I think that those are without things that maybe...
0: Because that's also... Without
1: a... competing and without remorse or regret or, yeah. or jealousy mm. even, you know. So um, I think that, yeah, I think that if I choose to have a relationship now, it would have to be about that kind of alignment and
0: that kind of respect and mutual, a mutual respect actually for one another. Well, that's a lot of wisdom, even though you don't think so. (laughs) But I must say, you're one of the very few people, I mean, I know people don't really know this, that I'm a hermit. So it's very rare in my life that I actually uh, accept an invitation. I've shared a room with you when we traveled for a global (laughs) elective in the U.S. I've gone to your home overnight, things that I don't usually do. And we've had, like, really touching conversations. Mm. And the one insight you gave me is how the Indian community is not homogenous because people kind of look at, you know, I I wasn't aware about the spirit of the Cape Coloreds or even Cape Indians versus... uh, the urban Indians or Joburg Indians, Um, it was amazing. I mean, what insights can you share in terms of us with our history of race and how we tend to box each other and stereotype each other? Because it has helped me, especially in how I look at people and appreciating diversity, that I cannot just look at you as your race and assume this is the experience I'm going to have.
1: I think that that's exactly it, right? I think that far too many of us wear lenses that are colored by what we visually are seeing. Um, And so even when we look at black people, like everybody's different. Oh. I can't look at you and like say that you're representative of all black people in oh. South Africa, because that's not true. Your upbringing is different. Your socialization has been different. Your financial situation is different. Um, who you're engaging with is different. And so even though you may come from a certain grouping or ethnic grouping of, of black people, you may not be representative of oh. that group, and so I guess the same applies to like Indian people, which was oh. that conversation that we had yeah. like i 'm not the same as like somebody that comes from Durban merely because I come from cape Town yeah. and um, and then too, even amongst Indian people, I guess like they are also like you know classism exists right yeah. like whether we we want to believe that yeah. it does or it doesn 't it absolutely exists. I was reading a um, a research paper the other day that indicated that, um, classism plays out in language when people are being interviewed, and interviewers are more likely to take somebody who speaks better language, and consequently, somebody from a higher class would speak. Aww. Linguistically, exactly. Linguistically, articulation, clarity, tone, etc., would be much better than somebody Uh, else. And so, even though you may have higher education levels, because of your ability to converse with somebody else in a specific language, you're considered for the position. You're more likely to be considered for the position than somebody else with higher qualifications. And they say that that happens in the first few minutes of an interview. Uh So, so I think that there are many things at play when we are engaging with one another. And I think that this idea of race. I mean, I I just feel like we are a diverse nation, regardless of race, regardless of what our history is and I think that if we just as human beings, start looking at each other as human beings and accepting that like we are different yeah. and we can accept that difference and embrace it, I think that we 'd be so much better and that 's around the world, not yeah. just yeah, in it's south, south africa, africa. It's you know it 's a global phenomenon. Wars are fought over religion, wars yeah. are fought over different races, different yeah. colors, genocides. I mean, like, I think these things are... I I feel like if each person can just become more conscious and more conscientious of of how they react and relate to everybody else, we'd have a better world, right? But that's not... We
0: can only strive.
1: We can only strive for that. So I feel like if everybody has that aspiration, I feel like we'd have a better world.
0: What book would you recommend? So there's a book that I read
1: a while ago, Now I must try and remember, was this on the MBA that we went to Mm -hmm. Boston together and we went to Ben Zander's The Art of Possibility. Do you remember? We got that book, The Art of Possibility. So he had a a little talk with us. Yes, yes, we watched him do a practice session with the Boston Philharmonic. Yes, yeah, so I've I've, I've re-read that book several times oh. over, and I think that that book has been really impactful for me. So it's the the name of the book is The Art of Possibility by Ben Zander, and he's the conductor of the Boston Philharmonic. And I think that why that book was impactful was partly because we were there, we saw what he does in action, um, like physically, and then he writes about it in the book, and so it was so easy to sort of visualize what he was talking about and that book has been impactful for me in helping me to learn how to grow people and how to bring the best out of oh. them and I read that like way back yeah. then right and it still has resonance. in 2006 and it still has resonance and I feel like there's so much from that book that like is still applicable today in developing people
0: Wow. just in wrapping up what wisdom would you like to If this is the last conversation you ever have, what would you like us to remember you by? Oh, did
1: you? (laughs)
0: Yeah. (laughs) Drama, yes. No, but honestly, you know. Yeah, I I would say
1: maybe something that I haven't quite figured out yet like how to laugh every day. I, I think that. I want to learn how to laugh every single
0: day. I laugh every day.
1: I know you do. I know you do. I think I just get caught up in like these serious stuff that I've got to deal with every day. And sometimes I look back at the whole day and I think, did I laugh today? Yeah. And so I feel like... I want to be remembered as somebody that was laughing yeah. rather than somebody that was serious. And so it's more aspirational yeah. for me rather than that's the way that I'm living my life. I mean, there are many days where I laugh. I just feel like I enjoy it so mm. much. I should do it more, more often.
0: often. Yeah. And I should really... Like if you tap into memories, because I can be exhausted. Like now, the story has told you before we started... Yes, and, yes, yes. And, and then we're ready to start, and I'm continuing laughing. Yes,
1: exactly. <laughs>
0: exa- I, I, wanna, I want that. I'm like, like, that moment again. To... And it's like, oh gosh, that <laughs> was like crazy. But, you know. So I don't know. I think maybe we should enjoy our memories more and yes. call upon. Because even when it's sad. That's, a, that's good advice. Yes, actually. when it's sad. I mean, I miss my sister, I miss my father. Yeah. And I know you lost. Your mom as well.
1: No, my dad. Your dad.
0: That was painful. I remember that. Uh, but the one way of overcoming, I think of, you know, and then I smile and cry, but smile and I laugh. I like
1: that. That's a good way to access. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: Like think so. of Boston and New York trip. Oh, yes. There are many things to laugh <laughs> no, about.
1: Actually, I can think of many of my holidays, and <laughs> I have lots of things to laugh about.
0: Anyway, but thank you so much, Tammy. It was really great. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank and you so much for, for, for having making me the time. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Please also like, follow and subscribe to our channel and share the wisdom with your friends. I would love it if you could rate and review as well. Wisdom Personified Conversations with Dudum Somi is also available on YouTube, Facebook Watch, Apple, and Google Podcasts, as well as Spotify. Enjoy the wisdom journey.